This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Well, welcome everyone. Um, glad that you can all be here tonight. Uh, we're going to have what I assume to be a really great conversation here with Krista and Christina. Um, and I'll say there'll probably be times for questions and answering and all of that. Um, I'll suggest we keep unmuted unless you would like to speak just because it's a large group and that can mess with audio. So that's a suggestion. And then I think um, we'll probably go through and do some introductions. It's lovely to see some some new faces tonight. So we'll get people acquainted with one another. Um, my name is Stephanie. I am the, um, I guess, uh, what do we call the moderator of the Justice Action Team, facilitator of the Justice Action Team. Um, I'm the intern here at Holland UCC. Um, I'll go ahead and, and pass things off to either Krista or Christina. Let the two of you introduce yourselves and we can go through um, and everyone just unmute and say hello for a moment. Yes. Thank you, Stephanie. I will, I will take it from there. I really appreciate you kind of getting us started. And it's so wonderful to see so many people here. Um, I will tell you that I have my screen on just seeing one person at a time um, because of uh, my vision, because I don't see well. So um, throughout tonight, we are very comfortable with you unmuting and asking questions verbally, just interrupt. <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, you can also use the chat, but probably you maybe use the chat um, when I'm talking um, because maybe Christina can mon monitor the chat, but I probably won't be able to monitor the chat. So, <laughs> so anyways, I'll introduce myself and then yes, I have Christina introduce herself and then um, I will ask you all to introduce yourselves and I'll, I'll ask you kind of how um, we would like you to do that tonight. So my name is Krista Anderson. I use she, her pronouns, and I am an LGBTQ affirming psychologist in the community. And basically what that means is that I am a safe place for and, and a knowledgeable, educated therapist um, about working with the LGBTQ community. And more specifically, I tend to work with the transgender community. That's just um, what has become more of my area of, of knowledge. Um, and I also facilitate Gender Safe, and Gender Safe is a support group here in Holland for the transgender community and their allies. I facilitate that with Christina. Um, and then I am a mom of two 19 year old boys, one who is cisgender and one who is transgender. Um, so that's a little bit about me. And so um, I'll, I'll have Christina introduce herself. And then I think how we would like you to introduce yourselves is um, to start out getting comfortable with introducing yourself with your name and your pronouns. And um, a lot of people might ask, well, why do we have to use our pronouns? Because 
you know, people can look at me and see if I'm a woman or if I'm a man. But again, right there, right, is an assumption. It's an assumption that we make by gender stereotypes, by looking at someone and assuming what their gender identity is by how they look. And that's something that we want to kind of start to, if we want to be an ally, start to kind of push up against a little bit, right? Because we don't know. We don't want to make those assumptions. And we also want to make um, people who are non-binary, um, identify as non-binary and might use they, them pronouns or other neutral pronouns, feel comfortable um, with sharing their pronouns and have, and we want to normalize it, right? So your name and your pronouns. And then um, one thing that you hope to get out of tonight, um, out of this, out of this talk. And I will, I already use my name and my pronouns. And I will say one thing that I hope, um, and I guess it's not necessarily for me, but it's for all of you. I hope that um, after tonight, you'll walk away with one thing that maybe you can do differently to um, be an ally for the for the LGBTQ community. And then, um, so that's me. Then I'll hand it off to Christina to introduce herself. And then after she does, um, we won't call on you. You can just kind of take turns introducing yourselves. All right. Can everybody hear me now? Yes. Please. Oh, thank God. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, I this this was a little bit of a mess. I didn't try this laptop. Apparently, the the mic is broke on my laptop. So here I am. Um, I am Christina. My pronouns are she/her. Um, I am the other co-facilitator um, for Gender Safe. Uh, have been probably going on two years now. I think is that holy cow. Yeah, um, at least. I am trans feminine uh, and I identify as lesbian. So, um, yeah, that's a little about me. I think you said we we're going to get into our stories a little bit later, right? Yes. So yes. that's all I need. Um, yes. What I hope to get out of tonight is just a little bit of education um, to help everybody else be more comfortable in, um, you know, pronoun usage um, and uh, tell a little bit about how to be a more affirming uh, trans ally and help maybe clear up some misconceptions tonight. So, yeah. If I could jump in next, I'm also on the Gender Safe Leadership Team. I'm Sarah Jeanette. I use she, her pronouns. I'm the PR Events Coordinator for Gender Safe, as well as being the Gender Safe Rep out on the lecture on the board there. Um, I'm a trans kiddo, and I'm here tonight because I always gain something, some new insight or perspective from every conversation I have in regards to gender. And I'd love to have some more visibility on what some of the natural, honest questions are that are floating around out there. Thank you. I'm Bethany. I use she, her pronouns. And um, I look forward to any opportunity to interact with gender diverse communities and just become like allow that to be more normalized and allow my perspectives of gender to be more expansive. So I'm looking forward to tonight. 
My name is Erica Tilden. I use she, her pronouns. I'm I use the labels transgender, um, non-binary, and bigender. Um, what I hope to get out of tonight is to um, further educate myself um, as most of my life I um, lived as a cisgender male. And um, even though I've been studying and conversations on Facebook uh, about the LGBT community, I feel that I'm undereducated and I need to develop greater sensitivity to the people that uh, uh, and the community that I belong to. Excellent, Erica. Glad you're here. I'm Joan Williams, and I use she, her pronouns, and I just want to become a better ally. I'm Bob Williams. I use he and him. Um, I just like to learn more about, about the transgender. Uh, I learn more about transgender people and the issues related to those folks. Good. Well, my name is April, and I'm just fascinated by this whole subject. I, I know I kind of like odds and ends of knowledge, and I think this is very refreshing and stimulating, and I, too, hope to become a good ally. And, April, what pronouns do you use? Oh, I use she, her. Thank you. Mm -hmm. My name's Brian. I use he, him pronouns and looking forward to learning more from our presenters tonight and learning to be a better ally. My name is Emily Teague and my husband Chris is listening as he washes dishes for me. I am, I go by she, her, and I'm here to learn and also um, just long to be a better ally and friend. Hello, um, I'm Heidi uh, and my husband, Travis. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I think where I'm hoping to really be more aware of what assumptions that I'm uh, currently making and be able to challenge those. And I'm Travis, uh, he, him pronouns. Uh, I just really want to um, continue learning, um, you know, uh, be sensitive, um, become more aware again of assumptions and judgments that I have, um, either conscious or unconscious, and then become a better ally. I'm Emery Haley. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm just here to interact with the community, meet some new folks, and share a little bit about uh, non-binary gender identity and neutral pronouns. I am so glad you made it, Emery. Thank you. Oh, I haven't been making it a lot. I'm glad I got to get on tonight. Yeah, me too. I'm Karen Ribbons. I use she, her pronouns, and I hope to learn and continue to learn as much as I can to be a better ally for the community, the LGBTQ community in general. Uh, my name is Andy Ribbons. Um, I'm a, I'm a he-em. Um, I'm a beginner, so go gentle on me. I'm learning. So just uh, this this whole thing just amazes me. And uh, we watched a movie this weekend, and it, it was just real eye opening to me. And um, I just think of the uh, the strength that it takes to um, do what some of you people are doing. And I just applaud you. And I just want to learn more about it and um, see how I can help. Thanks, Andy and Karen. 
Is that everyone? I think it was. Okay. Maybe. I joined late. My name is Ren. Oh. Oh, hey. Um, And my video isn't up because I... um, my Zoom will move too slowly if I do that. So um, my pronouns are he, him, and I identify as a transgender male. And um, I missed the opening prompt, but I believe you're asking why we are here, what we want to get out of it. Exactly. Um, okay. And um, I, I haven't been in a space um intentionally discussing gender and with other um, gender queer individuals. So I was interested in joining and I'm also on my own gender journey. So I always have more to learn. Thanks, Ren. Glad you're here. Excellent. Wow, I am thrilled to have so many people here wanting to learn and grow and be part of a community of others wanting to learn and grow. Thank you all. Um, Andy, you were referring to being a beginner. And, um, you know, one of the things that we hope most to have this be an opportunity for is questions. Um, We hope to spend most of our time taking people's questions and talking about how you can be a better ally Um, because those are, those are really important. Um, One of the reasons why it is so important to use places like this to ask questions is we don't want to put folks in the LGBTQ community in a position to educate unless they're comfortable But, you know, you don't always know, and some are not, some might be, Um, but it's really our responsibility to learn and grow and and educate ourselves. Um, But this is one of those times when it's it's good to ask questions because that's what this is about. So please don't don't hesitate um, to do so. Um, Also tonight, we will touch on some of the other issues that that folks brought up, um, biases, assumptions, stereotypes, um, and how those come from historical representations of, of people in the LGBTQ community, uh, and how those lead to microaggressions, discrimination, and violence. Um, so that's, that's an important issue. Um, we will talk about what are some of the real issues that the trans community faces. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's portrayed in the media, but is that the real issues that, that people are facing? Um, so we will touch on some of those things, but like I said, probably spend most of the time talking about some terminology because that's really, you know, that's, um, important and there's a lot of confusion and then your questions and then how to be an ally. But Christina and I thought we would just first, um, really briefly share um, about ourselves and, and why we are doing this presentation or why we um, are talking. And I think um, a big part of it, what I want to just say is that I want to own and acknowledge right up front that I am a straight cisgender woman. So I I have that privilege. I am not in the community. So I acknowledge that, that I am not an expert. Um, 
I, you know, have gained my knowledge just over time with my, my schooling, but also just my experience and working with the community. Um, so I, I, I just feel like that's really important to say up front. Um, I will say that I think what led me into this being an, an affirming, um, psychologist is the fact that I grew up with, um, a disability. So I grew up experiencing microaggressions and discrimination and knowing what it feels like to be, um, have people make assumptions about you or, um, treat you differently. And so when I saw that happening in high school with my, you know, friends who were gay or, and in college, um, it was really hard for me. And I felt very pulled to, to be an ally. I remember, um, very clearly, um, sitting in the theater, watching the movie Boys Don't Cry and, um, just, just in tears. Um, so in graduate school, got some experience. Um, but it was mostly when I was in Ann Arbor doing a fellowship that I worked with a woman who was transgender. And, um, for two years, we worked very closely together. I got to know her well and, learned a lot from her. And then um, shortly after that, I moved to, to Holland and um, moving from Ann Arbor to Holland was a shock to say the least um, because in Ann Arbor, um, there was a lot of diversity and um, a lot of openness and um, coming to Holland and especially working for a Christian mental health service, the, um, the lobby had focused on the family literature that talked about conversion therapy. So, you know, how to make yourself not gay. And I remember feeling really, really like, um, like horrified. Uh, and I remember thinking I need to get my name out in the community as a safe therapist. Um, so this was in the early two thousands, finally found P flag and, um, was fortunate enough to have Pine Rest, our, our little Holland clinic, be part of the first outdoor pride festival in 2013. And that I was really grateful to have made that happen. Um, and then in 2015, I was asked to start Gender Safe, um, the transgender support group, and it has grown leaps and bounds since that time. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So that's, that's my history. And I'm going to Oh, no, one other little thing. And then in 2016, my my son happened to come out as transgender. So that was just um, a little, you know, added bonus, I guess. Um, so with that, I'll pass it off to, to Christina to share a little bit about her story. Thanks. I was going to say, you can't leave out that one little <laughs> part that's like the most important. Oh. Right. Um. Again, my name's Christina. Um, again, pronouns she, her. Um, don't mind if I kind of look a little off uh, where my I'm recording or where my video is going and where I'm actually seeing people are a little off. So, um, yeah. So a uh, little about myself. Um, gosh, I started to realize at a very young age that I was different. Um, I didn't... Um, I'm 45. I didn't, in those days, there wasn't like help or anything out there for, um, who 
trans people were. Um, there was no real support. Um, honestly, if you were coming out in some way as identifying, you would have probably came out as a transsexual or um, something uh, along that lines. Um, I remember probably in my early teen years, somewhere between 12 and 14, um, starting to have like um, these feelings like something wasn't right. It was kind of coinciding with when I started going through puberty and there was um, there was just a lot that it was kind of piling up. Um, I started experimenting with uh, wearing women's clothes um, and I did that for a while um, and um, maybe about six, six, nine months. And I remember um, one night my mom went to the store and um, I had gotten some clothes of hers and I was wearing them in my bedroom. And um, I just remember she came home from the store and immediately like ran down to my room. And it was like, she saw me and was just completely mortified. And she's like, I something, something was telling me something was wrong. Um, she proceeded the next day to tell my dad they were divorced at the time. Um, he came over and had his, uh, man to man talk with me in the garage and proceeded to throw me up against the wall in the garage and tell me that that's not how boys acted. Um, and, uh, I really felt super ashamed of what I was going through. And, um, I didn't do that for several years to follow. Um, I, uh, cause I didn't want to like disappoint my dad. And there was this, um, I, I just felt like there was something wrong with me, even though I continued to have these urges and, continued to know that something wasn't right, but I also knew that I didn't want to, you know, um, receive the wrath again. <laughs> um, and so it wasn't probably until I got into my late teens, um, I started dating, um, very promiscuously. Um, and I took on a job as, uh, uh, an electrician at 21. Um, a lot of things that started hitting, like, um, as I was moving into my twenties, I was, uh, I was coming to more terms of understanding what, um, who I was a little bit, but there was no acceptance. I was just, I was continuing. I kind of had gotten back into cross-dressing, um, as a means to fulfill this desire to have this feminine connection, um, with myself, it really brought about a peace in me. Um, I found that I did it more often when I was super stressed out. 
um, as a means for anxiety relief. And then it kind of was more the, um, I just, it, it kind of started feeling more and more, more like it was me. Um, a couple of years into that, um, my mom passed away. Um, and she was a huge supporter of me. Um, I, to this day, I wish she would have known and seen my coming out because I know she would have been a champion supporter for me, but, um, I, it was just, it was really a tough time. Um, I ended up meeting who is now my ex-wife, um, at the time. And I struggled with, um, sex addiction also at the time. And, uh, a lot of these things started like just getting overwhelmed and I figured, you know what? I, I, I can't live this life. I want to, I, I was trying to tell myself that I just needed to be more masculine. I was in a hyper-masculine field of work. I was like, okay, getting married is going to solve the problem. And we were married for eight years before it finally got to the point where I was secretly cross-dressing again. And, um, she found out, um, and I just, no matter how much counseling I went through, no matter how, how much I tried to deny myself, I was starting to more and more, um, uh, realize what was happening. And, and at the time, like Caitlyn Jenner had just come out, um, as trans. And so a lot of it was like starting to hit home. Um, the more, the more I did, um, research and the more, um, like the internet was blowing up with this kind of thing, um, to be able to find resources and stuff, it became, more and more for me to be able to see that this was everything I had been fighting for at the time for like 15 years. And so I was like, you know what? I have to, after um, our marriage ended after eight years, um, about uh, in 2016, and um, shortly after my divorce, I started the transition process, um, and I started working on my coming out. Um, I was already starting to grow, like grow my hair out. Um, and there was just, uh, so much that I was like, I was like wanting to like come out to the world. And I like chose a very small amount of people to come out to that I knew would be safe. Um, and, uh, slowly started gaining support. I thought I was going to lose all my friends. I have a very conservative, um, friend base, uh, and, um, a lot of my friends, um, and I thought once they hear this, they're going to be gone. Um, they all stuck with me through my transition. And, um, and I, once I finally gained enough courage, I 
went to my HR at my work. Um, at that point, I had been with my company 20 years. And um, I talked to my HR uh, gal and went into her office, shut the door and said, we need to talk. And she goes, oh, no, this isn't one of those meetings, is it? You know, like, you're going to quit? And I was like, no. So I proceeded to tell her and she's like, is that all? And I was like, is that all? It was like the biggest thing in the world. And she goes, listen, this is, this is not, this is not a big deal for us. We will, whatever we need to do to help you through your transition. She's like, we will do it. So my work made like huge leaps and strides towards uh, educating uh, a lot of the management, um, the field staff, our field employees. Um, we are um, 550 employees in the field strong. Um, well, I should say between field and office staff. Um, and so it was, it was a pretty big deal and they've supported me all along the way. Um, and I was happy to report, uh, earlier this year, um, they actually, I am the only out trans person at my work, but they elected in our latest healthcare, uh, package to cover trans affirming wellness uh, care. So, uh, they made a huge, huge, uh, investment in, uh, uh, the healthcare package to solely benefit one person at, that they know of, of course. So, um, but yeah, uh, really about the only hurdle has been my dad. Um, when I first came out to him as trans, he called me an embarrassment and, said, what's my, what are my parents or what are my neighbors going to think when they see you? Or he was just in complete and utter shock. Um, I will say this, uh, it's been, um, just about three years, I think now, two, two years. And he's come a long way. Uh, we, he still occasionally dead names me. Um, he will misgender me. Um, I, I hate to say it's on purpose, but I feel it's more as a lack of intent to try. Um, but yeah, um, my stepmom, she was a little bit of a hurdle at first, but she has come leaps and bounds, gets the name right. So anytime I call, she'll like, uh, Dale, it's, Christina on the phone and so and she'll say she and or call me honey um and um but you know it's it's been a journey with my dad um it's been a healing process too and he's getting there so that's really honestly all I needed and um everybody else has been pretty fine so I'm sorry that that probably ran a lot longer than I was supposed to Krista no, you're good. It's so important. So, for, I like, I love you sharing your story and it's really good for people to hear your story. So thank you. I will acknowledge though, to everyone that, um, we we're probably going to run late for, you know, for sure we will, because, um, 
uh, it's just too hard to try to fit this in an hour. So if you need to leave, um, you know, whenever you need to leave, feel free to leave, but we will definitely go longer than an hour because the next thing that we want to do is we want, um, we could have sat here and kind of gone over terminology with you, but, um, but that wouldn't be, I, I don't think, as kind of interesting as this little video that we found. And um, so it's just about 11 minutes, which I, I know that seems like a long time, but there is a lot of terminology, right? And don't worry if you don't get all the terminology, but it's really good to have the exposure to the terminology um, and, and what some of the, the, the words are and what they mean. And um, so we are going to um, show that now. So um, as you're watching, if there's questions that come to your mind, take a note of it. If there's like a term that you would like to have more clarity on, um, we, we can talk about it afterwards. Um, so Christina worked on this this weekend to figure out how to yep. share her screen. So we're going to, we're going to see if we can get this working. All right, here, here we go. Let's see. Here. We're going to start with some basics just so that we're all on the same page. If you haven't heard of these terms and concepts before, this is a great place to start. And if you're well-versed in this area, it's always helpful to take time for a quick review. First, what do we mean by LGBTQ? LGBTQ is an acronym for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, and others. The plus can include people who identify as asexual, androgynous, intersex, or demisexual, among many other sexual orientation and gender identities. It refers to a population of people who are sexual and or gender minorities. So let's get started by talking about sexuality. Sexuality is often thought about as having three main components. These are attraction, behavior, and identity. These components of sexuality include who an individual is romantically, emotionally, or sexually attracted to, which sexual behaviors an individual engages in and with whom, and how that individual identifies and possibly labels themselves in terms of their sexual orientation identity. Attraction, behavior, and identity may interact or overlap in different ways for different people. But what does that mean exactly? This can mean that an individual's sexual orientation identity is a direct reflection of who that individual is romantically, emotionally, or sexually attracted to, and who they engage in sexual behaviors with. This could also mean that an individual's sexual orientation identity label is a reflection of how that individual sees themselves, and also that they are attracted to and or are engaging in sexual behaviors with people who do not fall within that sexual identity label. This is an important distinction when discussing sexual health with patients so that we are not making assumptions about their sexual behavior based solely on their sexual orientation identity. Sexuality can be fluid, meaning that someone's attractions, behaviors, and identities may change throughout their lifetime. So we also don't want to assume that these will always remain the same. Let's take a minute to explore the identity piece further and discuss some culturally appropriate terms for talking about LGBTQ youth. 
Right now, we'll focus on sexual orientation identity and then on gender identity next. Lesbian and gay identity labels are commonly used by people who are emotionally, romantically, or sexually attracted to people of their same gender. Bisexual is commonly used by people who are emotionally, romantically, or sexually attracted to both people of their same gender and another gender. This identity label does not indicate or require a level of interest that is the same across both genders an individual may be attracted to. Queer is used in a variety of ways. It functions as an umbrella term for some LGBTQ people to refer to all non-heterosexual identities, also as an alternative and sometimes intentionally vague sexual orientation identity, as well as being used politically. It is important to note that the word queer is offensive to some and is generally seen as an in-group term to be used only by LGBTQ people. Questioning is used by some to indicate the process of exploring and discovering their sexual orientation identity. There are many other sexual orientation identity labels that individuals may use, including but not limited to pansexual, asexual, same-gender loving, aromantic, demisexual, and homosexual. Note that homosexual is considered a stigmatizing term by many, but some people still use this identity label for themselves. Now let's talk about gender. When we're thinking and talking about gender, there are several things we need to keep in mind. First and foremost, gender and sexuality are not one and the same. People have both a sexual orientation identity and a gender identity, and these are related in some ways, but are two distinct components of a person's identity. Gender identity is a person's internal, deeply felt sense of their own gender, be it female, male, both, neither, or any other gender. Everyone has the right to define their own gender identity labels. An individual's gender identity may or may not correspond with their sex assigned at birth. Sex assigned at birth refers to the sex that is listed on a person's original birth certificate. Sex assignment is most often based solely on physical genitalia present at birth. Gender identity and sex assigned at birth are both different from gender expression. Gender expression refers to the external manifestation of a person's gender identity, which may or may not conform to the socially defined behaviors and external characteristics that are commonly referred to as either masculine or feminine. Gender expression may include things like the way someone dresses, their hairstyle, the way they carry themselves, their mannerisms, their physical characteristics, the way they speak, and their social interactions, among many other things. Cisgender is a term used for people whose gender identity does not differ from the sex they were assigned at birth. Transgender or trans is an umbrella term used for people whose gender identity or gender expression differs from the sex they were assigned at birth. Sometimes, trans with an asterisk is used to denote that the term is being used as a broad inclusive category. Since it is an umbrella term, not all people whose gender identity or expression differs from their sex assigned at birth identify as transgender. For example, the term transgender could include someone whose sex assigned at birth was male, but who does not identify as male. This person might identify as female, a woman, a transgender or trans woman, gender nonconforming, non-binary, gender queer, 
or any other gender identity they feel most comfortable with. Again, this is different from a person's gender expression. Both transgender and cisgender people can express their gender in ways that may or may not conform to our socially constructed ideas of masculinity and femininity. We often call this gender nonconforming. So we already know that some people do not identify with the sex they were assigned at birth. And we know that the word transgender is commonly used when talking about these people. However, transgender is only one of a limitless number of gender identities that a person could have. We mentioned earlier that we use the term gender nonconforming to talk about gender expression, but it is also a gender identity. A lot of people also have non-binary gender identities. This means that they don't identify within the socially constructed dichotomy of male and female. People who identify as non-binary might use non-binary as their identity label. They might also use other gender identity labels such as gender queer, gender fuck, neutrois or neutrois, neither, gender fluid, agender, bigender, genderless, or androgynous to name just a few. Identifying outside of the gender binary is becoming more common among youth, so this is especially important to be aware of when working with youth populations. When someone's gender identity differs from the sex they were assigned at birth, some transgender, gender nonconforming, and non-binary people make changes to affirm their gender, which we call gender affirmation. Gender affirmation, sometimes referred to as transitioning, can greatly improve a transgender person's mental health and overall well-being. There are many things people can do to affirm their gender. These can be described as primarily falling into three categories, social, legal, and physical. Social gender affirmation can include changing the name and pronouns that someone uses for themselves, changing the way they dress, or changing the way they behave in social interactions. Legal gender affirmation includes things such as making legal changes to one's name and gender marker on identity documents. Physical gender affirmation can include both medical and non-medical physical changes. Medical gender affirmation includes things such as hormones, surgery, and silicone injections. It is important to recognize that not all transgender gender nonconforming, or non-binary people will make gender-affirming changes. These are simply some of the ways that people might affirm their gender, but there is no right or wrong way to do so. Lastly, people may identify or express their gender differently in different situations or at different times in their lives. Similar to sexuality, gender can also be fluid. This means that people may use different gender identity labels, names, and pronouns at various times or around different people. They may also change the ways in which they express their gender over time and in different settings. Gender fluidity does not in any way invalidate a person's gender identity. Language around gender identity and gender expression is constantly evolving and can change quickly. This can make it difficult for providers who are working with transgender, gender nonconforming, and non-binary youth to always be sure they are using culturally appropriate language. The best way to be sure that you are using appropriate language is to ask the youth you are working with. Not all gender minority youth use the same language to describe their gender identity and expression, and so what is affirming for one person may not be for another. 
Please note that the gender-related terms and identities presented in today's webinar are by no means an exhaustive list. This brief introduction to sexuality and gender is simply that, an introduction. Continually educating yourself by reviewing additional resources on LGBTQ communities is a great way to engage with cultural humility, which we'll talk about next. Now okay, that we have Christina. a better... Sorry about that. No, no, you, you, you did it. You did it. You figured it out. (laughs) Excellent. All right. So, um, we know that's a lot of information and obviously you can see that I pulled it from, uh, um, an educational webinar for, um, providers, but I just thought it was a great introduction and I guess with that, um, do people, did that bring up questions for anyone? Anything that um, anyone wanted to ask right now after watching that? So I guess no. one question oh, yeah, that, that, um, that I have. Christina, you said you knew at a, at a young age um, that something wasn't right. Is there an is there an average age or a or a, an age a typical age where somebody somebody knows? And I think it's probably different when somebody knows to when they actually do change or come out or or whatever. Not sure if I'm asking. I, I would sure. I, I I completely get where you're coming from. I would say it. I, from a lot of the people that I'm friends with, uh, especially individuals my age uh, or all parking my age, um, it seems like it's always a youth. It, uh, it was like I knew like ever since I was in my teens or something. I think it's, um, and Krista, you can jump in here too. I would say, I, I would say a lot of times it happens around puberty. Um, you know, when your body starts changing and you maybe start seeing these changes and it's like, wait, this isn't supposed to happen or, um, something like that. Um, but I also think it can be something that is like, it kind of lays dormant, um, for other people too, that, you know, maybe they're just like, Hey, you know, I've had this, you know, um, this feeling like something maybe, you know, um, has, is changed in me. Um, I think one of the things in the video that it speaks to a little bit is that, um, genders can always be changing. Um, you know, uh, I think there's been several individuals that I've come across along my journey who, might come out as trans feminine or trans masculine. And then they're like, you know, that, that's really just, that doesn't completely fit the bill either. And maybe then they say, you know, maybe I identify more in the non-binary spectrum. Um, but I don't know. I would say, I, th- I think probably fairly young teens. Well, and, and but, what I would say, Andy is, I mean, I generally maybe would agree with that, Christina, but I would, what I think the most important thing to take away, Andy, is that there is no typical 
um, age, right? There's really not a typical story, a typical journey, a typical path. Everybody's story and journey is different. And that has at least, you know, that has from all the reading I've done and all the, um, you know, I, I guess the experience that, that I have had work, working with people, um, there, there just isn't a, a typical way of being transgender, right? We're all unique. And, um, oh, I had one other point about that. What was I going to say? Um, so I guess uh, it speaks to like assumptions, right? Again, we just, we don't want to make assumptions about, okay, this is what it's like to be transgender. This is how it happens. Um, oh, I know what my other point was just, um, if you do research, you will see that, um, I mean, the two spirit gender in the, um, Native American community has been around years and years and years. And there are a lot of other, um, nationalities or cultures that have had multiple genders for many, 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 many years. So it's not a, it's not a new thing. One other very quick question. Um, what electrical company do you work for? Cause I want to freaking hire them. I think that's awesome. <laughs> Sorry. Fyan uh, Zylstra. We are, we're probably one of the largest electrical contractors in West Michigan. Um, and we started out with very conservative roots. So it's, it's been an awesome experience. So. That's cool. My nephew works there. That's why I was wondering. So awesome. Oh, wonderful. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. Anybody else have questions? It's less a question about the video, but I'm curious if you could share the link, if that'd be possible in the chat. So if others want to look like that was a long video, I don't know if there was more that could be interesting for people to watch, but that could be good. There's a lot more. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think Christina, or I can put it in, I'm going to do a follow-up um, email with, I already created it um, with additional resources, because like I said, we're not going to be able to really even get a lot of info in tonight so I can put it in that email as well um but that video does go on and it's the rest of the video is um providers and trans people themselves sharing their stories um so it's really really well done and I got it through um the University of Michigan so Thank why are you, you laughing <laughs> I'm laughing. Christina's pointing it's, down to the, the chat where she's in the chat. The link. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Yes. So, yes. All right. Anything else before we move on? All right. Well, thanks, Andy, for being brave and asking questions and Stephanie as well. So, I just want to quickly touch on history. I think many of us, um, the BTQ community, I will just say that, um, you know, uh, I'm sure you all hear that there's a, you know, a lot of things still going on, um, especially in the last four years 
that have uh, led to a lot of discrimination, violence against especially the transgender community. But if we look back, even um, as late as the 1970s, um, homosexuality was still considered a mental health condition. Um, they were doing lobotomies for people who identified as gay. Um, like I said, conversion therapy is still legal in some states. Um, there, obviously, we know the military history um, as far as people being able to serve in the military. People in the LGBTQ community couldn't work for the federal government for a long time. Um, so, and then th that's not even to mention kind of the impact. I mean, if you think about, if you can go back in your mind and think about the time of the HIV AIDS epidemic in the 80s and early 90s when that was all very prominent, um, you know, think of all the, the, the messaging that was, was out there um, about AIDS. It was that it was a gay disease um, because gay people were pro so promiscuous. They were passing this illness on, around. And um, because of that, there was not a lot of research and um, testing to find, you know, drugs and vaccines. I mean, there, there was, but it was also ignored a lot. So anyway, those are just, just, you know, touching on the history. So knowing your history, knowing the history, learning the history, because again, um, what do we need to do to be uh, a better ally? One of the things we need to do is we need to better understand what our assumptions are, what are our biases, what are the stereotypes we hold. So I would ask you, as you think, like as you just sit there and reflect on, you know, images or messaging um, that you've been exposed to over the years about gay people or transgender people? What comes to your mind? What, 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 do, what do people think about? Like what, what, are the, what are the messages out there in the, in the media or, or the, um, you know, what, what are we exposed to? I think a lot of times we're, uh, the LGBTQ community is stereotyped as um, like hypersexualized or objectified. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of um, portrayals of prostitution. Yep. And Go in ahead. the case of some, some movies, and I'm going to cite the most famous one, Ace Ventura event, uh, Pet Detective, uh, the people in the transgender community are, are you know, um, portrayed as being something to loathe and be disgusted by. Um, there's a scene right at the end where everybody's, um, uh, for lack of a better word, puking, um, because they just found out that the, the main in person was uh, uh, transitioned and they had all had some kind of um, um, relationship with them and um, with her. And um, that's still out there. 
and and it affects mm-hmm. employment. It inf- it affects uh, how people treat us. It affects how people look at us uh, when we're transitioning in public. It, it affects a lot of those things, and and it's incredibly hurtful and scary um, because you don't know mm-hmm. what your safety level is. Yeah. Thanks, Erica. Anyone else? I thought of the word scary when you said, um, if, if I put myself in that place and knowing who I hung out with and knowing who I worked with and all that stuff, if, if, if I was going through this, wow, that has just got to be scary. Um, so, oh, sorry. Um, anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing that comes to mind for me is um, just other I think the, um, in society, there's just these clear, you're either female or you're male and there is no other option or in between. And I think that's the, so by default, anybody who's not clearly one or the other is othered. Um, so I appreciate all the nuance, um, that you share tonight. Heidi, that is such a beautiful introduction to a quote that I wanted to share. So thank you. <laughs> thank sure. you. Because you're right. We, we have been, we have created the binary, right? When it comes to gender, the social, social construct of this binary. So I, I got this quote from another training that actually Bethany went to this training and Sarah too, uh, as well. Um, and so I'm just going to read it. So it says, our construction of the idea of differences, rules, and expectations concerning gender and sex paved the way for severe discrimination and abuse against those who did not conform. So I I like that quote so much because it speaks to how... um, we created this 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 construct of what's the expectations of of being a woman what does a woman do what does a man do all these gender stereotypes right that are that are out there pink and blue and and um you know women have these jobs and men have these jobs and men, women are soft and sweet and men are hard and you know tough and don't cry and all these assumptions right so it's not just the assumptions about um people in the LGBTQ community, but it's also just gender assumptions, right? And so that's important to be aware of too and to look for opportunities to stretch those. Uh, when, you know, when somebody, um, you know, is focused on, well, I can't do that because, you know, that's a guy thing to do, you know? That's an opportunity right there to say, why? Why? You could do that, you know? So, um, so I just, I just definitely wanted to share that. Um, I think you touched on some of the biases that I was going to say, um, promiscuity, um, you know, they're trans people are portrayed as prostitutes. They're, um, men who get off on dressing as women, which is why I think, Um, I do have some struggle with drag shows because I do think it perpetuates that idea a bit. I I mean, I know drag shows can be fun, but I also think it can be, um, 
uh, hurtful in a way to the trans community. I'd be curious about what the trans folks on this call would say to that, but that's, that is a, is a stereotype that's out there. Um, and then just this idea that, that, uh, trans people don't exist, right? It, 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 it's, it's fake. Like it's, they're making it up. Um, I mean, again, that's just, uh, horrifying. Um, and then I guess the other one that I would just touch on is the religion and how, um, religion is often used as a way to really other people in the LGBTQ community pretty horribly. And thankfully we are here as an open and affirming church community. And, um, uh, but that a lot of people have used Christianity in really horrible ways, um, against people in the trans community. So, um, those are just kind of some of them just to be aware of that are out there. And, and, and when I talk about them, what comes up for you? Like what comes up for you? What do you think about, do you have some of those, um, inherent kind of thoughts or like ideas that, you can challenge yourself and they do have some of those, um, bias inventories, just like they do for understanding your racial biases. There are some inventories, um, that you can do to kind of better understand, um, your biases when it comes to sex and gender. Christina, did you want to add anything? No, I think you, you've added like, uh, so much that it's, I, there's really not much I can think of to add. Okay, thank you. Did anybody have any any comments on that, or did that what I was sharing bring anything up for anyone? A- yeah, April um, did. Yeah, I'm I'm curious as to, well, maybe especially in a churchy setting, why this topic is so upsetting for so many people. Um, just because, I mean, I'm pretty much a female, I guess, as best as I know. But, you know, if someone is, why is it so upsetting to (laughs) challenge the system or challenge who's supposed to do what in the first place? I mean, it it makes me wonder if, it it makes me think that kind of the heterosexual, cisgender, whatever community must have a whole lot of insecurities and problems within its own sphere that it feels the need to get so upset over people who don't conform. Yeah, that's a big question, April. I can't really speak to that. I can just say that I know, um, I know like I have been to um, presentations by Catholic communities where um, they very much believe that it's, it's not how God created people. And so, um, you know, that's, that's just their belief. So, um, but yeah, that's, it's a big question and I, I don't want to touch that one. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I will say that oftentimes it boils down to a lot of, uh, times they use, uh, what are in the community would be known as the clobber texts. Uh, in the Bible, it's like five main texts that are often used to isolate or um, uh, uh, make the 
LGBT, the whole LGBT community feel like the, that they're, um, that they're, that they don't belong, that their, that their gender identities, their sexual orientations, that all of that is wrong. Um, there's a very good book. I will link in the description, uh, to read. It's, uh, called Unclobber. Very good book. Our church did a study on it. And, um, but it would be one I would highly recommend that basically helps um, set a, a why uh, people of faith um, taking into taking several uh, texts that are in the Bible and using those against the LGBT community. And I will just add, if it's okay, Christina, that you are a member of Hudsonville UCC with Dan Furman, correct? Yep. yep. Yeah. Just so folks know. Can I react to something yeah. you said, uh, Krista? Yes. Okay, so you made a, um, a point to say um, uh, you have a, a perspective on drag shows and how that could be pos potentially hurtful to trans people. Yeah. And being a trans person myself, I look at that as uh, two, two separate things. Uh, um, number one, um, I wholeheartedly um, support um, it as a theatrical expression um, and a performance that is separate from us within our community. But I do agree that it can damage um, our, uh, the understanding of trans people from the outside. So I par partially agree. But on the other side, it also gives um, trans people um, an avenue to express themselves in a safe place as um, they are, because there's so many um, people who are just coming out that they don't have a safe place. And a lot of times drag shows are ways for them to dress feminine and, and um, dance or come out or sing um, and, and just be themselves for one hour. And then they mm -hmm. go, Halloween's the same way. Um, or cross-dressing dances in schools just so that they can breathe for a second. Um, oh. And so many of us don't have that opportunity for those um, drag shows or uh, events. So I support oh, it as a separate thing too. Thank you so much for sharing that. I am so glad you're here and that you put words to that and helped helped educate everyone and me. I, I'm always learning. So that was beautiful. Thank you. And I'm also in questions, conversations and things like that. So, and my stories. Excellent. All right. Well, I think at this time, I'm going to hand it off to Christina, who's going to talk a little bit about um, what are some of the real issues that the trans community faces? Yeah. So, um, a lot of, I do have a little thing that I got off from, on, uh, that I found online on Facebook. So bear with me. I'm going to try and share. I'm hoping this is going to share this. Yeah. So let's see here, this one here. So, um, this is, this is like a really narrowed down, um, and really simplified version of what the media seems to think um, 
trans issues are. Um, when you, if you talk on, or if you look at like um, some of the more conservative uh, talking heads on uh, news, like Fox News or something like that, a lot of what you see is how trans people just want to, you know, they're, they're creepy and they want to use the, you know, there's, they're, um, looking at, they want trans women or men who want to identify as trans women so they can sneak into women's bathrooms. And, you know, there's all sorts of delinquencies that we want to do. Um, and I, think about the other side is like pronouns they think all we are all we are worried about is our pronouns it's like the so this this little pie chart and like i said super oversimplified but it's like what do trans or people outside the trans community what do they think trans issues are so now the realistic factor is Trans issues are more like this. Bathrooms are such a small part of what we fight on a daily basis. Um, as you look at this pie chart, you can see that there are so many things, and a lot of it revolves around um, medical community, um, and these affect trans individuals or non-binary individuals on a daily basis. The long waiting list for gender affirming clinics. Um, my girlfriend who is also trans feminine is currently seeking out a doctor to be able to perform uh, gender confirmation surgery. Um, there is extreme waiting list. There's gatekeeping involved with doctors that um, are way backlogged. Um, you might have like currently, for example, she's waiting to get into U of M. There's only one person for the entire U of M um, gender confirm or the gender studies clinic one person that reviews all applicants. And so we as a community can often um, be, uh, we can be put on long waits um, with these clinics uh, due to the fact that number one, more and more people are coming out and more and more people um, are seeking out gender confirmation surgeries or gender um, gender affirming uh, medical care. Um, our surgery costs are not covered oftentimes by insurances. Um, there's only a few um, insurance companies that will cover transgender affirming care. Um, uh, gender confirming surgeries. Uh, many insurance companies um, consider it um, to be um, like just 
normal plastic surgery that um so that is oftentimes um you know a stereotype that we're it's just it's cosmetic surgery um breast augmentation and facial feminization surgeries are looked at as um in the trans feminine community as um those are, you know, not necessary surgeries or um, there's some surgeries for transmasculine that are not, that they're considered to be, um, that they're considered to be uh, not, not necessary. And so um, we have a long long history in our community of medical professionals um, within our community that um, do not educate themselves uh, due to the fact that um, we have like hospitals that will not, um, will not use our proper names or pronouns because um, maybe we don't have updated documents that, um, I, that would help um, identify us. Like maybe some people haven't changed their name or changed their gender markers um, through the the um, different means that they can go through to get those changed. Like through the um, going through a name change hearing um, or or um, going through the DMV now allows you to change your gender marker on your driver's license. Um, there's a lot of people that haven't done that. So then when we go into a hospital, our medical records show a dead name. And when we try and correct them, they might say, well, it's, this is what's on all your records. So we have to call you that. So, and that can be very traumatizing for trans people to be misgendered and dead named. Um, it's, um, can be, uh, and it happens on, uh, I would say, a daily basis. Uh, some hospitals, like Spectrum, are, depending on the hospital that you go to, like more inner city, um, seem to be a little bit better and moving towards um, uh, trying to have on record that maybe this individual is transgender and they they might be able to put different fields into um, the health charts that they have a preferred name, um, but it doesn't still completely stop that. Um, and that is a very, um, that is still very much ran into on a, like I said, on a daily basis. Um, and can I just add one thing? Christina, Go ahead. can I yeah. can I quick add one thing? Just and that doesn't even yeah. that doesn't even touch on the fact that, um, like in the trans community, they, they there is talk of like who are the trans affirming providers, right? So there's a lot of medical right. professionals who are not affirming, and so there has we have to have lists like gender safe. We have a list of medical providers and therapists who are affirming because. Trans people, it's very scary to go to the doctor and not know um, if this person is going to be is going to treat me well. Am I safe? 
I mean, the doctor is the place where you're supposed to feel safe, right? When you go, this is your doctor, but still there's so many that are not educated. Um, and so I just wanted to add that point. And, and I think what you were saying earlier is, 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 you know, your company has been really fabulous about, um, providing trans affirming care in their medical insurance plan, mm -hmm. but these surgeries are very expensive and most of them are considered elective surgeries. So these are thousands of dollars for necessary procedures for people to be able to live into the gender that they are, their, their innermost sense mm -hmm. of their gender. So, um, yeah, yeah, I just had to add that. <laughs> and the cost and coverage yeah. only matter if you can access a surgeon, like you were saying, there's you know, I've, I've been waiting 10 months to see U of M. Well, that's the only place in the entire state that will do these procedures. So, I mean, it's right. not just being able to afford them either. It's finding someone who will do them in the first place. And, um, yeah. you know, and also uh, regarding the, the dead naming, I have up, I went through the legal process to change my name and I still am dead named. Um, uh, I was, I mean, I was just through a hospital system last week and, um, I had to really, really get, um, assertive with, uh, the doctors because it's like, you're putting my dead name on there and I've got my driver's license and everything. And I've got a court order and everything. You need to change that. And, and so many trans people are, you know, are, are, are dealing with that. And, and even mm -hmm. after you get the legal name change, one system might not be updated or you didn't get around to this 15th or 19th or 20th person because there's no central mm -hmm. place to do it. Right. It's yeah, frustrating. absolutely. You know, and some of the health healthcare uh, uh, provider systems uh, you know, are really seeing that this is a need that uh, is needing to be changed. They recognize that and they're making steps. But again, you know, it's a, it can be a slow moving process and there's definitely still resistance and hesitation and pushback um, in, in this community. Um, again, you know, it would be, very much understated saying, you know, that we're a more conservative community. So, um, but, you know, and that's just, that's medical. Um, and another one that I see as I look here is inaccessible mental health care. Um, same kind of thing. Um, a lot of times we have a road to, uh, individuals, let's, let's just say, uh, trans, masculine or trans feminine person uh, decides that they want to start the medical transition process, which requires hormones. Um, according to WPATH and uh, guidelines, and uh, uh, which is the world mental, or it's basically, world a, uh, yes. World Professional Association of Transgender Health. Thank you. Uh, it, a lot of doctors follow the trans, uh, the WPATH guidelines, which um, in Michigan, we are not an informed consent state. So um, our road to hormones needs to go through a mental health professional. Um, so again, with like what Krista said, it's like trying to have that how do you know who is a trans affirming 
um, mental health care specialist, like a therapist or whatnot. So we, again, have lists that these individuals that might connect with our community and say, who do I need to see to get started with this? But without that, people are kind of on their own to do their research, and they might hope that they're finding a you know, a therapist or a counselor that can get them from A to B without gatekeeping. And unfortunately, there are many gatekeeping therapists that will, like, knowing that the pathway from for us as an individual to get from our coming out to medical transition uh, care is through a therapist. We've had an individuals that might be a therapist one or two times, and then they get their letter to go to a doctor. There's been others that might see a therapist for over a year, and the, the therapist still won't write them, you know, a letter to, you know, get them the, what they need. So it also, so the mental health care can kind of play into the uneducated medical professionals. And so it could also be uneducated medical and therapeutic um, professionals. Um, trans existence being consistently debated by others. Um, so many people just think that what we, that we're making a choice. This is a choice um, that, um, that uh, so many different stereotypes that you hear that, um, that are just like other people telling us that we're wrong. Um, I think about the fact um, a lot of there's, there's people out there that um, so uh, uh, that would, uh, sorry, uh, that are like, um, Oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought. Um, that it's just that we're sick. Um, that uh, that there's so many that they they almost think that they know better. That we just need to find God. That that so many of these things are um, they they just because they don't understand, they don't walk a mile that walk a mile in our shoes type thing. Um, they think that they know better. They think they know who we are. They think they know what we're going through. And that's, that is another often uh, misconception is just, you know, I, I tell everybody that, you know, I get into discussions with about this. It's like, trust me, it would have been a heck of a lot easier for me in my life to just continue to live my life, you know, and been born like with a male brain that matched my male brain you know, body and be able to have that life, but that's not how I was wired and they can't understand. It's like, you know, trying to tell somebody the sky is green and they go, no, it's blue. And they're like, well, I see it as green, you know? So it's kind of like a, I mean, oversimplified version, but, um, and, um, Another thing, homelessness, trans homelessness. Oh my gosh. Um, up until recently, um, is, I believe it was Mel Trotter opened up a, like a transgender, um, 
area in one of the shelters uh, for trans people. Um, but we are oftentimes, you know, trans youth um, and just LGBT youth. Um, it's um, it's so prevalent to have um, youth that as they start to explore their um, identity or their sexuality, they're like, they're kicked out of their homes and they say, you, you aren't going to be able to live your life this way and live here. And unfortunately, you know, especially when it comes to youth, there's really not a lot of options out there right now. And then, um, taking that to more adult, there's also, um, you know, a trans woman that goes to like a homeless shelter might be put in with men because she might not have the proper documentation um, that would uh, allow her to stay with a with the women. Um, and uh, that many times you'll see that the that trans uh, homeless trans feminine will be placed with men, which is very um, can be, um, can lead to violence. Um, so, um, that's very prevalent. Um, you'll see a lot of homelessness due to that, that people won't seek out a shelter, um, just because of that fear of, um, of being attacked or being placed with people that they aren't, um, of their gender identity. Um, uh, a, a couple, a couple of quick things I'm going to just touch on here, Christina, real sure. quick. I would say sure. I looked up the statistics. Yeah. Um, there isn't a clear number, but, um, of homeless youth in the country, the, the estimate is that 11 to 40% of homeless youth are in the LGBTQ community. So it's a pretty significant percentage. And then I was also going to add, um, along the lines of homeless shelters not being accommodating to people's gender identity as far as where they are housed, the same thing is true in our Michigan Department of Corrections. So transgender women are in cells with men, um, which Mm -hmm. is very, talk about dangerous, it's very dangerous, and there is a lot of violence that can happen. Um, And just to touch on the violence, um, especially trans women of color, um, are, you know, uh, there is a lot of violence that happens. I think some of you that are on this, on this call have watched our transgender day of remembrance services and, um, you know, nationally in the United States, this last year was the worst year in the last, uh, eight or nine years of, um, mostly, um, trans women of color are murdered simply because they're trans. So um, just to have to walk around being afraid of um, someone committing a violent act um, is not, not right. Thank you, Christina, for letting me just quickly add those points. Yeah. Um, And then uh, difficulty accessing legal documents with the correct uh, name or gender. Um, It, Many states um, will not let you change your birth certificate. Um, Some states won't let you change your driver's license. Some won't let you change a gender marker on a driver's license. Um, And the legalities um, of all of these 
uh, every state has different rules governing like what you can change or what you can't change. Um, and some, some states they're like, you just cannot change anything. You can't change, uh, your birth certificate. It's, it's just, it's ridiculous. So there are many states out there that will like prohibit you from being able to, uh, correct, uh, your gender identity, gender marker. And I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure if there are how many states are out there that block name changing, but I'm sure there might be some, but, um, and then lastly, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I went through my name change this past, um, summer, uh, into winter, cause it takes for a very long time, the federal government wouldn't allow me to change my, um, gender marker on my, um, social security file to female because I haven't had, um, gender affirming surgery. So they a hundred percent say if your body is a certain way, then that's the marker you get. And there's only male and there's only female. There's no other designation. And so until you get your, uh, a surgery, you're this for life. And it's, it's, it's very, very um, um, traumatizing sometimes. And you're specifically referring to birth certificate, correct? Because you can change it with the Social Security Administration as long as you change uh, your passport. I'm talking about what's, what's attached to your um, Social Security number. Yeah, you can change it if you change your passport. First. Yeah. Yeah. You, passport you just, is a little bit simpler because it only requires a letter from a mm-hmm. physician stating that you've completed sufficient medical treatment for transition from gender whatever to gender whatever. So I must um, have run into a gatekeeper. Yeah, <laughs> I did. So yeah, the the first time I went to Social Security, they turned me away. The second time I went and brought my passport, they let me change it. So I recommend trying again. Yeah. I, I can walk you through the process to do that on uh, another call, if you would like, Erica. But related to that, I've been pushing to get an X or a neutral gender marker recognized. Currently, there's not one at all mm-hmm. federally, and most states don't recognize one either. Michigan does not, um, although they've been talking about it. So it's unfortunate mm-hmm. because I literally can't have a gender marker that matches my gender identity. Even though I can change it, yeah. I can't change it to one that is accurate. Well, and the other issue and is that if you can't change your birth certificate um, gender marker, which um, Ohio, I think it might be in the process of changing that now, but for a long time you could not. And then if you have a job or a school, someplace that requires your birth certificate, then it outs you, right? It outs you because mm-hmm. of that gender marker. So. Again, all these things that, you know, if you're not in the community, you don't even think of um, that people have to go through just to affirm their gender. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm done. (laughs) Okay, I was going to say the only the last thing that really that's not on this pie chart and it's a huge one is limited family support. you know, with regards to the fact that uh, oftentimes we transition and we don't have support of family and maybe or friends, um, and it can be 
such an isolating feeling where you are just alone. Um, I know like after my divorce, that was one of the biggest things for me was that feeling that I could be completely alone. And many are, many are cut off from family, um, due to the fact that they don't, they won't accept them for the identity that they are, um, representing. And they're like, I only know you as this from your, um, you know, this is your birth gender and this is all I know you as. So. And the research just, just goes right along to support that. The research shows that the biggest, um, predictor of outcomes, medical outcomes, mental health outcomes, substance abuse outcomes, overall well-being outcomes for people in the trans community is having social support, having family support. If, if you have that, you're so much more likely to have a good outcome. If you don't, it, you are much less likely. So that's when we work with um, trans youth, that's really an important message that we, um, we give to parents because the, if they can get on board and be supportive, they are, you know, it is so, it's the best gift that they can give their, their youth, their mm-hmm. children. So I know we're going really long. Okay. We want, I don't, I don't even know how many people are still here on this call, but, um, but we want to go over Can I, can we move now to how to be an ally? Yeah, absolutely. Please. Okay. So we're just going to bop back and forth, Christina and I pretty quick and go through some of these, um, these ideas of how to be an ally. And actually we've probably talked about a lot of these, um, because I see the first one we have, we've talked about, well, I talked about using your pronouns, right? At the beginning, when you introduce yourself, you know, look for opportunities to use your pronouns as much as you can. So you can normalize it for everyone. So everyone uses their pronouns. So it's not such a big deal if somebody has to share their pronouns. Um, It just makes it a normal thing. And there's a lot of ways you can do it. Um, you, like I said, when you introduce yourself, if you have a name tag for your job or, you know, for church, we, we've done it now at our church. So that's really cool. We have our pronoun stickers. Um, but also like on your email signature, you can add your pronouns there. Um, so yeah, that's a really kind of easy way to, to be a great ally. Yeah, um, and then uh, increasing uh, gender-neutral language um, instead of using binary um, uh, identification, uh, gender identification, uh, saying more stuff like friends, folks, y'all, everyone, um, that doesn't, um, oftentimes people will say guys, and, and it's, sometimes can be kind of hurtful in the, I hear it all the time. Um, when I, somebody speaks to like a group of myself and my other coworkers and they'll say, you guys, um, and it can other people, myself, not so much all the time, but sometimes it can, it can be kind of triggering to, you know, it, binary language like that can be triggering to a, to a trans individual. 
Thank you. Yes, that and that's one of those things that you just have to kind of practice. I, I catch myself mm-hmm. doing it and I, I have to just practice the same with they them pronouns, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people like get freaked out about using they them pronouns. But if you practice it, it becomes very natural and very normal. So if anybody ever wants to practice using they them pronouns, <laughs> I'm happy to practice with you Um, because it doesn't come naturally for people initially, but it can, it can. So um, I will say that. Yeah. Um, Not making assumptions. Um, I've, I've come across many people that even myself, I would have, I, I would have assumed them to identify in a binary gender and they were like, I identify as non-binary. Um, it's, you don't want to assume that just because they are presenting or outwardly presenting one way that that's an assumed gender identity or, um, like saying something would, um, I've had to deal with many people saying to me, I would have never known you were trans and they consider that to be a compliment and it's really kind of an insult. So it's just something like that too. And it's an insult because like I, I relate to that with my blindness. Cause people say that to me about being blind too. I would never know that you couldn't see and people think they're giving you a compliment, right? Or I would never have known you were transgender. They think they're giving you a compliment, but what it means is you don't look like a blind person. You don't look, I have an image in my mind of what a transgender person or a blind person looks like. And you don't meet my idea, my stereotype, my vision of, of Mm -hmm. what that is again. Right. So that's why it's so important to recognize, Oh, wow. I do have those assumptions. I do do that. Um, I just wanted to say also the complimenting someone that doesn't look trans is also working on the assumption that the goal is to not look trans, right? That it's more normal or more right to not look trans, whatever the heck that means anyway. Um, But, you know, that that is often not the goal and we certainly shouldn't promote it as the goal, even if it is the goal for some individuals that shouldn't be the cultural normal status is to not be trans because that's just not true. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'll go on this intersectionality one. Um, Does everybody know what intersectionality is? Intersectionality is understanding that the more groups that you belong to that are oppressed in some way or marginalized in some way, it adds to that oppression or that discrimination, right? So we all have privilege in some ways and we all have, uh, you know, kind of oppression or I don't know if that's the right word that I'm using, but, um, So like me, right, I'm a white person. I have privilege because I'm a white person. I'm a woman, so maybe not quite as much, you know, as a man. I am high, you know, middle, upper class, so I have privilege. But I'm a disabled person. I'm a person with a disability, so I don't. So we all have different layers like that. And it's important to know kind of your intersectionality and where kind of you fall in all of that. And then also to be aware of how that might be impacting the people that you're in relationship with. Um, So, yeah. 
don't ask about our bodies. It is so wrong to ask a trans person, have you had the surgery? Um, do you still have, you know, um, that is just not like, I wouldn't ask Krista like, Hey, you know, how's it going down there? You know, I mean, if it's not something that you would walk up to some other person that you weren't thinking or weren't having a conversation, um, if you knew that they were trans to ask them, that is just not politically correct. It's not, it's not something that is considered good etiquette. Um, what we have don't have what surgeries we've had or didn't haven't had. That is a very personal thing to us. And honestly asking can be, you know, some individuals are very triggered by their body parts. Um, many, uh, individuals that, um, are very, um, triggered by their own body parts. Um, and, um, there's others that aren't. Um, some people would be willing to talk about that, but to ask is just not something you would do. Yep. And then, um, Personal. as we, yes, absolutely. Amen to that. Um, as we mentioned earlier, try to be aware as much as possible of your biases, your assumptions, the stereotypes that you make. Um, and, um, just, just, pay attention, right, to what what um, conclusions you have in your mind um, and try to catch yourself. And then also catch other people. If you hear someone making a transphobic comment or misgendering someone, um, you know, don't be afraid to speak up. Um, if you're, so one thing I will say, and I will check with the the folks on here in the community but um my understanding like if you're with someone who's in the community um and you're wondering like oh if they get misgendered do i say something or don't i i i would ask them ahead of time um so that you know whether that's something they feel comfortable to respond to or whether it would be supportive for you to speak up if somebody misgenders them or uses the wrong pronouns or something. Um, is that, is that you would agree with that, Christina? I would. And seems like Emery would too. Yeah. It's, that's actually really important because, uh, the person you're with, they may be out to you, but they may not be out to their family, their workplace, their friends, Etc. So you may think you're being supportive if you correct someone who misgenders them, but if they're not out to that person, then you've just outed them and you could even potentially put them in a dangerous situation that way. So you really want to confirm ahead of time, you know, when we're in public or in front of certain groups, how do you identify, how would you like me to support you um, and your identity? Very important question. Erica? I would absolutely, absolutely support that is, is make sure that you know, and I'm going to use a, a very clinical term, boundaries. Um, make sure you understand who you're with and, and what their boundaries are. For instance, 
um, Emery and I have had conversations outside of this group and Emery's boundaries are very different than mine. I'm more open with my boundaries and, and Emery has very strict boundaries. And so, um, everybody's different. You know, some people are very, very open and some people are very, very private. And, and when you're with somebody in our community, just, just understand that, assume that they have strict boundaries unless they've said something and then you're going to protect them um, because we are uh, in need of, of uh, protection in public because so many people don't like us just because we exist. <laughs> But if there's a um, if there's a general transphobic comment or homophobic comment, it's not directed at someone in in particular that someone makes. That is an opportunity for you to speak up. I've had people who've used just just language that wasn't accurate, and it was hard. But they you know they referred to a gay lifestyle or they said transgendered, and so and I had to be really brave and courageous, which is, I mean, it doesn't come supernaturally for me, but I did it because it was really important. And, um, so just challenging yourself in that way to be an ally and speak up when those things happen. If for a trans person, what, what is a, what does a perfect world look like? And, and I guess it, it isn't, you're just able to be who you are in. Yeah, I mean, it's ultimately, it, I would say the perfect world is opposite everything that we've talked about tonight. That would be like unlimited healthcare access, medical professionals that treat us with respect, people that treat us with respect, like. Andy, how you would treat um, Stephanie or Krista, that is, we would want a world where it's you treat us the exact same as you treat somebody else who is of your same cis, of the same cisgender community. I mean, we're not looking for special treatment. Honestly, we're not. We're just looking for same treatment. Perfect world is that we're all seen as this who we are and without uh, disregard to our identities. Well, and similar to the, similar to, again, I, I will make the comparison. I know it's, it's maybe, maybe I use it too much, but so to the racial learning that we're doing, the anti-racism stuff, right? People can say the words. They can go, oh yeah, like I have a lot of gay friends. I treat, you know, I treat trans people just like me. But again, we all have stereotypes and assumptions, make assumptions and have biases. So, so, so yes, all these things I think that Christine is talking about, but, but that happens when people don't hold the, <laughs> the, the discriminatory ideas in their minds and people can say, oh, I don't have that, but it's still very on an unconscious level. We do because of uh, the history that's out there, right? So it takes time for these things to change. Yeah. Um, I, I would close and say, or, well, sorry, not close. Uh, Andy, you unmuted, so I feel like you might have something else. I was just going to say thank you. That, that was, yeah. that made a lot of sense, what you just said. So thank you. Um, 
I think one of the last things here on this list, um, uh, not just being a performative ally going, going to pride fest and wearing gear, um, but do more, speak out for the community, um, reach out, get educated. Um, our youth, educating our youth about gender diversity, gender fluidity, and the multiple ways to be in a loving relationship with others is, uh, doesn't have to be strictly be limited to binary, um, binary genders or binary identities. Um, you know, there's a lots of great books out there for youth. Um, and there's more being written all the time, uh, about, um, different things with like gender identity, um, and stuff. Um, so it's, there's a lot of things that we can do to help educate our youth and educate ourselves. So I would say that's really about it for me. I want to just add on to that because what I was just saying is it takes time. We need to change those narratives, right? And we need to start young. We need to start, just like Christina said, we need to start with our kiddos and teaching them that gender is not binary. Gender is, can be fluid. There's all different ways to identify your gender, right? And so that needs to start right when kids are little and lots of different ways to be in relationships and have love, loving relationships with people. So um, we apologize that we went so long and we thank you <laughs> all who've stayed this whole time and um, really appreciate your interest and hope that you are walking away learning something. Next Tuesday, we are going to have a discussion of the documentary Transformer at this same time, 7 p.m., on Tuesday night uh, via Zoom. We're not going to watch the movie together. We we ask that you watch the documentary on your own. Um, again, one person's story, right? This is a, a one person's journey. And then we will come together and have more conversation. So thank you all so much. And thank you, Christina, for joining me and Emery and Erica for adding your amazing input. Yeah. yeah, thank you both um, so, um, so much for this. This was a really great, yeah. I think, it, an educational and insightful discussion and conversation and the collaborative effort has been really great, I think, for all of us. So yeah. I'm so grateful. This, this is uh, something that Krista and I have uh, done uh, one other time together, and I uh, love being a part of this. Um, I love sharing my story. I've told anybody I would I I will tell my story to anybody who listens um it's just getting the word out there because it was it was a rough go for a long time and I I've had so many people tell me gosh you seem pretty happy and it's like I'm happier now than I ever was I thought I experienced joy um you know I'm a born-again Christian and I thought I knew joy, but transitioning took joy. Like I was able to fully uh, take that to a whole new level. And it's just finally being able to be myself has been just amazing. So I love telling everybody all about it. And I'm a talker. (laughs) Oh, and I love you. 
Oh, I love you too. Thank you for sharing that joy with us. It was palpable and this was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for everyone. Thank you for having me. For hanging out. Uh, I'm, I, please don't apologize that this went so long. I wish we could have started like an hour earlier or something to have it go even longer. This was great, though. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank, thanks, Stephanie, for facilitating. Thanks. All right. Good night, yeah, everyone. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Take night. care. Bye, everybody. Thank you again Take for care. being here. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Mm-hmm.